Welcome to Income for Baby Boomers. If you want to learn about exciting new businesses each week from other boomers who speak your language and have started a unique and profitable business from home, you have come to the right place. For those who would like to try some of these low investment opportunities, stay tuned. We'll help you get started in your own profitable adventure. Now with your host and entrepreneur, Ken Queen. I'd like to welcome Ivan Meisner, founder and chairman of BNI. How are you doing, Ivan? I am doing great. Thank you. Oh, good, good. Uh, I didn't realize how big I know you're, of your network, but uh, I was looking at some figures and I'm amazed at how huge it is. Um, yeah, we now have uh, over 7,100 groups in almost 60 countries around the world. Doing something right. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's been Mr. Toad's wild ride. <laughs> so we, we folks want to try to follow at least a little bit in your footprints. <laughs> Um, could I maybe just go back in time for a minute, Ivan, and where where did you get the the uh, entrepreneurial bug at, at five years old, or, or was it later? You know, that's a great question. And, uh, you know, I started BNI when I was um, 28, so I was fairly young. Um, but I, I had been a little bit of an entrepreneur early in my life. Um, uh, the, one of the first uh, businesses I started wasn't quite the first, but one of the first was uh, when I was about oh, maybe 13, 14 years old, and there was a neighbor who was producing these uh, street addresses that were reflective, very unusual yeah. reflective street mm -hmm. addresses, and I thought these were great. I could sell them, and I asked him if he'd make a bunch, and I'd take them around the neighborhood. He said, yeah, and so, man, I, they sold like hotcakes, and they were selling so well that I... Um, you bought the company? No, I, what I did was <laughs> I should have bought the company, the thing is, I, I didn't know how to produce them. He did. Uh, he right. was literally doing them in his garage. Um, I hired two or three guys. And, you know, I, I um, took a small percentage of what their sales and I managed them. And we started selling these things like crazy. <laughs> and, and this guy finally came to me one day and he said, man, this is too much work. This was just a part-time thing for me. <laughs> You're turning this into a full-time job. I, I don't want to make any more. So I lost my manufacturer and went out of business uh, <laughs> at 13. But that's when I had I mean, my first employees. Well, you didn't get fired. That was good. I did not get fired, no. <laughs> what was your next venture after that one? Well, you know, um, I think the, the next venture was really quite a few years later, uh, I, um, <laughs> this is going to sound so crazy and very few people know this. I actually started a trucking company, uh, in, in my very early twenties. And I got to tell you, I know nothing about trucking. Uh, I barely know the front end from the back end. Um, and, but the reason I did it was I had a brother-in-law who was a, a truck driver and he wanted to start his own trucking business, but he didn't know anything about contracts or finance. Um, contracts and finance I could handle, uh, you know, get me in the truck. I have no idea what to do. Right. So um, we had a tractor and a number of trailers and that was the second business I, I owned. And it was, it was, uh, it was not a fun business. <laughs> I did not enjoy it. It wasn't something, it wasn't your billy whack or whatever it's it, called. It really, it really wasn't, which, you know, is a lesson for people. Don't, you know, don't do a business just because it sounds like a good idea, uh, do a business because you're passionate about it. And that's absolutely something I was not passionate about. And it made the business miserable for me. How long did you do that one? Did that for about five or six years. Um, it really went in debt, it went heavily into debt. And um, 
I turned the company around, got it out of debt, and I said to my partner one day, do you have a, do you have a dollar? And he said, excuse me? I said, do you have a buck? And he said, yeah. I said, can I have it? And he said, yeah. And he handed me a dollar. I said, you just bought the company. <laughs> yours. I, I did, yeah. I said, you just bought the company. Um, the assets are worth a fair amount of money. It was less than 100000 But, you know, back in the 80s, that was, a lot, of that money. was a lot of money. And I said, look, my advice to you is sell everything. Go get, say, get out of the trucking get business. Get out of the trucking business. <laughs> go get a Teamsters job uh, mm-hmm. and make a good living and, and don't kill yourself with this cause, because you're going to be in the exact same problem we were in two or three years ago. Um, if, if, if you don't sell and he said, no, no, I think I can make this work. And he hung on to it. And of course he went deeply into debt and, um, and I'm glad I got out of it, but I felt okay. Cause I sold him the company for a dollar. Mm-hmm. He, he lost not just his business, but probably his house and, and his reputation and his yeah. <laughs> credit rating. Yeah, lost a lot. Um, but it's, it's still amazing that, you know, when we all have done it, when we were younger, spend five years in misery, you know? <laughs> Yeah, we we have. We have. And, you know, it's funny because so I, look, I've done hundreds and hundreds of interviews. I think you're the first guy to ask me about um, some of my early uh, businesses. And I think this is the first time I talked about a trucking company on on an interview. Um, it, it, I'll tell you what I did learn from that experience. Um, I learned that when money's tight, don't fib to people. Don't tell people, yeah, yeah, I'll, you'll get to check this week. Your suppliers. Yeah, yeah, don't don't do that. Um, that people will work with you if you're just honest with them. Mm-hmm. And it was the rare person who was really difficult uh, and wanted paid right now, no matter what. Uh, and even those people, you know, I said, look, <laughs> I get it that you want paid right now, but I don't have it, so you don't want to check the balance. So how do we work this out? And I just found that being, you know, clear, open, honest, and direct communication, boy, I got, I got great terms, and I was able to turn the company around, and everybody got paid. No one, I, I owed no one money from that trucking business when I, when I sold it for a buck. Um, but, but I learned that you just got to tell people. And years later, when I had uh, struggles in uh, another business, uh, I was able. To, to draw from that experience, even though the struggles weren't nearly as bad as the trucking business, I was able to learn from that and, and just be candid with people and, and found that people, you know, as long as you're honest, when I, I'd say to people, look, um, I got a check. Um, it'll clear in four days. I'll give you the check today if you want it. So you can hold it. And in four days, I promise you, you can cash it. And then four days, by golly, no matter what, I made sure that money was good and they could cash it. Or I'd say, look, I need terms. You know, can you give me 60 days instead of 30? And people were really cooperative. And, if, and, and, and that's just so important uh, of a lesson to have learned early on. So people can smell your morals. Could we say that? <laughs> I think so. I think they can. Yeah, they, they, they tune in. They can, and especially your behavior. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, I think it was... Um, I have a good friend, Stephen M.R. Covey, who wrote the book Speed of Trust, and he has a great phrase yes. in there that I really like. You, you can't um, talk your way out of behavior. You can't talk your way out of something you behaved yourself into. Mm-hmm. So um, you have to walk the talk. And if, if your behavior matches your talk, um, people tend to be very gracious, uh, even if, if things are tough. 
Um, so yeah, you know, as long as, as long as you're candid and honest and, and you follow through, um, you know, you, you, you can make things work out with people. Luckily, I never had that quite as serious a problem as I did that. Right. But, uh, congruency people, uh, a sense, I guess, you know, they realize, uh, something is yeah. wrong with this picture. I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, they, they, that's true, but it's the behavior that they really get because, you know, it's, it's when you say, look, I'll have it for you in a week and it's three weeks have gone by and, and you don't have it for them. Mm-hmm. That's, it's that behavior that they say, look, you can't believe what he says. He's, you know, he's, he's mm-hmm. full of excuses. I got you. All right. Okay. Well, let's, I mean, I, again, I think, Here's why I like interviewing older entrepreneurs. I mean, there's lots of young guys that have made a fortune, but the thing is they haven't been through any failures usually. And so they only see one version of business and they say, I can't figure out why anyone failed. Yeah. Don't worry. You'll learn eventually. Yeah, yeah, they do. And, And, you know, here's something else, too, is a lot of people, you know, they hear my story with BNI, 7,000 groups. There's almost 4,000 people who work for the country. We're in or for the company. We're in 60 countries. They think. Wow, this this guy's really lucky. He's very successful. You know, he's he, he hit upon this, and uh, you know, it's just off to the races. Um, what they don't understand is that uh, you know, I'm a 20 year overnight success. Right. It took me 20 years to get to this point. I had lots and lots of failures along the way, and it's those failures that I think that are sometimes um, the the best lessons as to what what not to do in order to to be successful. Well, I'm thinking of a ballistic missile, and most of the time it's off course. Yeah. It has to keep correcting. Yeah. So failure is probably a bigger part of your success than success because that's just part of the the game. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it definitely is, and I think a lot of people don't get that. They see you know someone who's successful, and they don't understand that there's been a lot of failures along the way. You, I, I really believe that you cannot define yourself by your failures. You have to define yourself by your successes. Acknowledge your failures, uh, learn from your failures, and then move on. Uh, and and don't don't you know don't live in those repeat failures. Them. Yeah. <laughs> don't repeat them. Oh well, yeah, yeah. And look, look, I have certainly repeated stupid things that I've done, but I try not to do it often. Uh, right, but you, you eventually, we all eventually get it though. Yeah. We hit our head a few times and we realize, okay, that's that's not going to yeah. work. <laughs> we move on. Uh, so uh, after the trucking company, is that when you went on to be an I at that point? Or? Yeah, well, I have worked for some people uh, in between there. As a matter of fact, while I was uh, running the trucking company on the side, I, I uh, worked for a transportation company in Los Angeles and then a manufacturing company where I was an employee. And I finally decided I I just didn't want to work for people anymore. Um, it, it, this was not what I wanted to do. I wanted to, I really wanted to run my own business. I just didn't particularly like the trucking business. So I started a consulting business. Uh, I was 25, 26 years old and I started my own management consulting business. I was working on my doctoral degree in organizational behavior. And, um, and so I started my own consulting business. I guess I was 26 or 27 when I did that. All right. And then you did that for how long did you do the consulting? I did that for about five or six years. I finally sold it um, when B&I uh, got to be so big. What happened, B&I was a total fluke. It really was. I mean, I'd like to tell you that I had this vision of an international organization with um, thousands, hundreds of thousands of members. But the truth is I needed some referrals for my consulting practice. And I put together some people I trusted and they trusted me. 
And I was definitely willing to refer them, and I hoped that they would also be willing to refer me. The thing is, we don't teach this in colleges and universities anywhere in the world. We don't teach networking, uh, uh, emotional intelligence, social capital. So I didn't know what I was doing. And I brought in people who I thought, I thought these guys knew what they were doing. I thought they knew how to network. So I was going to go to school on them. What I discovered was that nobody really understood how to build their business through referrals. And so um, I, I had this one group. I didn't plan on having multiple groups. Someone came who wanted to join, but she couldn't join because in BNI, we only take one person per profession. So she, her profession was represented. She said, would you help me open up a second group? And Ken, I actually said to her, I said, no, this isn't what I do. I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not a networking guy. I'm, I'm a business consultant. And she said, well, this is sort of consulting. You know, you're going to help me build my business. So I was like, okay, fine, I'll do it. We opened up the second group. A bunch of people came. Several couldn't join because of a conflict with the other people. And they said, hey, this is great. Would you help me open up a group? And I said, no, this isn't what I do. And uh, But I did it. And after – The lights started to come on. Yeah. You know, well, it took a little bit of time. It took almost a year. And I, I ended up opening 20 groups, honestly, pretty much by accident. And here's something that I've done all my life practically um, – between Christmas and New Year's, I take at least a couple of days, or now I take the week, and I reflect. Um, I look at what, what what happened last year, uh, where do I want to be next year, and what's my five-year plan, both personally and professionally. And that particular year, I sat back and I spent most of the time going, what the heck just happened? You know, th this wasn't part of my plan. I didn't see this coming at all. And I realized at that point that I had struck a chord in the business community and that I should I should react to it because it's rare in my experience at that you know, young age, but it, it was my experience that it's rare that things uh, grow so organically as B&I did. And it was at that point that I sat down, created a plan, had a strategy to build the company um, and and really um, uh, really started to focus on on how to take BNI and make it. I thought at that time national. Now it's international. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so make a plan. That's fine. It's good to plan, but don't put it in cement. No, don't put it in cement. And and um, you know a plan is 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 sort of a roadmap. Uh, but sometimes you find that there are detours along the way, and you got to be willing to go with them. But you know, if, if what happens is sometimes people don't have a plan and, and they speed up. Well, you know, if you they're speeding up because they want to become successful, but they don't really have a, a plan in mind. So if, if you're headed the wrong direction, speeding up won't get you where you want to go faster. It could get you mm -hmm. the other direction. So you, you need to have a plan. You need to be prepared to go with the flow. Um, one of the things that I teach, everybody says set goals, set goals. Yeah, yeah I get it. And, and I'm a believer. But here's the thing to me that makes the goal setting work. Um, I believe you got to reverse engineer your goals. So when I set a goal for one year or five years from now, some particular project, let's say a one-year goal. These are, these are the number of members I want by the end of the year. Um, what I'll do is I then reverse engineer it. So if I'm going to be there by December, where will I be by November, by October, by September, by August? And I literally go back month by month. 
so that I reverse engineer it down to where will I be 30 days from now? And then, um, and then I uh, create metrics to measure that, to make sure that I am either hitting or not hitting those numbers. And I look at them every month or more because um, if you're not setting the metrics, if you're not um, you know, setting a, a system by which to measure your performance, then you're never going to achieve those goals easily. And you've got to reverse engineer it and then track it consistently. All right. All right. So often the subsidiary of your main plan uh, turns out to be the, the main place. Like I think Keller Williams uh, talks about that. He wrote the book, uh, one, The One Thing. Yep. And he says, uh, you have to do the one thing every day. You know where you want to go, but you have to focus on the one thing. If you get divided and, uh, you know, try to figure out things in advance of the day, you kill yourself. And he yeah. used, uh, oh, he used a good example. Uh, who's Who run the most uh, gold medals for swimming? Um, I can't remember his name, but yeah. Phillips or whatever. He wasn't all he wasn't the brightest guy i don't think i mean he was smart but he has addhd or whatever and you know he's all over the place but one thing he did was 6 hours a day 7 days a week he said the only other person that came close to this was 6 6 days a week he says if i do it 7 days a week and hey he wasn't the greatest speaker and he wasn't the you know the smartest guy when he when it came to business yeah. but he outswam everybody yeah. that focus of one thing <clears throat> Six hours a day. Yeah. To yeah. And, you know, I have a similar philosophy. I tell people do six things a thousand times, not a thousand things six times. And what people tend to do is they keep chasing bright, shiny objects uh, rather than doing things that they know works based on observing uh, successful people do it. Uh, so they, they, they do it for a little while and they go, well, you know, I've done it a bit and it, it didn't have any luck with it. So I'm going to try something else. Uh, and I think that's a huge mistake. You got to do six things a thousand times, not a thousand things six times. Right. I, I think another thing I was reading, you know how they say it takes uh, 28 days or whatever to get a habit. Right. Someone else has been writing about that saying it could take more like two years, but the average is at least 66 days. Yeah. You need to do something consistently for 66 days. And depending on how elaborate it is, you might have to do it for a year or two. Yeah, it's, it's possible. It, you know, it depends on what your commitment is, I suppose. Right. I mean, there have been some things that I just um, decided overnight. This is, you know, I'm changing my behavior. That's it. Um, and other things that it takes time to, to develop that new behavior. To move, move into that new place. Yeah. Uh, just, just to go back to your consulting years just for a minute, because there's so many people uh, uh, that are listening to this, uh, Ivan, that are uh, 60, 50, 65 and they're an expert in something. Yep. I mean, they're, they've been an attorney all their life, but they've never worked for themselves. I mean, they've always got their paycheck and all their stuff was paid for, and they go in and do their work every day, and that's it. And now they've been set out to pastor or whatever's happened, or they're laid off or whatever, and they have some expertise, but they have no idea what to do. Yeah. Because they're not entrepreneurs. Right. How, how do we help them? Well, I think the first thing is that they have to determine what they're passionate about um, and and then start looking at what opportunities exist in in that area. Uh, let me take it from the other direction, but it's the it's the same it's the same um, th thing that you want to do, I believe. I, okay. I I taught for 16 years at a state university in in Southern California, 
And I'd always get these kids coming up to me uh, after, you know, after class towards the end of the quarter. And they'd say, Dr. Meisner, what, what's, what's the latest, what's the latest, greatest business I should get into? You know, what's, what's the emerging market right now? And I, and I remember having this conversation with a number of kids and I'd say to them, what well, kids, you know, they're 21 or so, 22 maybe. And, and they'd say, there's still kids. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Unless you're 21 or 22, we all know they're still kids. So, uh, so they, they would say, well, no, that's not what I'm asking. What I'm asking is, what's the what's the latest, you know, greatest business? What's the emerging market? And I'd say, yeah, yeah, I hear you. But my question to you is, what do you what are you motivated by? What what are you excited about? What are you interested in? And they'd say, no, you're not listening to me. And I remember saying to one kid, no, you're not listening to me, because I can't tell you what the emerging business is that you should get into if I don't know what you're interested in. Because if I tell you it's, it's X and you hate X, then I'm telling you to start a business that you're going to hate. And it, you know, I never really thought about it, but it probably had to do with me and the trucking business. You know, I started this business I didn't even like. And, uh, and I'm sure that that impacted uh, my feelings. You got to be passionate about what you're doing. So the answer to your question still is relevant to someone later in their life. Um, what are you passionate about? What do you like doing? And you, and you start with that. And then you look for business opportunities in those areas that you like doing some, it might involve coaching or training or teaching people so that other people can learn from your mistakes. It, it could be, uh, you know, getting another Job, it could be starting a company doing what you were doing for somebody else. But you got to figure out what you're passionate about. And don't just start a business if you're not passionate about being an entrepreneur. There's a big difference between being an employee and an entrepreneur, and people don't get that until they've done it. Yeah, that's true. So this attorney, let's say he, his passion is uh, saving animals, you know, that's so they're not, not destroyed, put to sleep and all that. Yeah. So... He could take what he know his uh, uh, law background and use it in that field. Absolutely, you know, if if he still likes the law and you know is is still passionate about the law and he's passionate about animals, uh, you know, I would look for opportunities um, to put those two passions to work. I don't know what that would be, but it would be you know anything that would uh, combine those two would be, uh, I think, an ideal thing because if you're if you're, you know, look, I think an entrepreneur is either working in their flame or working in their wax. Okay. <laughs> when they're working in their flame, they're on fire. They're excited. They can't wait to get up. They love what they're doing. They're passionate about yes. it. And you can see it. You can hear it in their voice. Yes. When they're working in their wax, they're just, it's, it's drudgery. They don't want to get up in the morning. They hate what they're doing. It's sucking all the energy out of their life. And so the more an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur wannabe, the more, the more you are working in your flame, the more you're going to love what it is that you do. And, and that's why I tell people, find out what you're passionate about and then try Try to find something that fits within that passion. So you need to bring someone aboard uh, who can take care of your wax, yep. and, that, and that's their flame. Yeah, you, well, you hit it right on the head because, you know, there are actually people out there who love accounting. 
And, right. you know, they, they love uh, making sure those numbers add up properly. And that's totally my wax. You know, I can get around a balance sheet. Um, I can get around one, but that doesn't mean it's my flame. And so mm-hmm. if I can find somebody that loves balance sheets um, and, you know, that's their flame and standing up and talking to an audience, doing an interview like this would be completely their wax. <laughs> they wouldn't want anything to do yeah. with it. You might not like it. No, and so that's why, you know, you want to, especially if you're an entrepreneur, you want to find people to surround yourself with that uh, have different flames than you. And it, 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 from what you're saying, and I, and I agree with it, that a flame uh, over time expands where wax uh, decreases. It does. And, and let's make it even a little more complicated. The things that maybe at one point where your flame can later become your wax. Okay. I mean, you know, I've, I've been doing BNI, yep. I've been doing BNI for 30 years and the things that I was excited about, you know, uh, my first 10 years, <laughs> I'm not so excited about anymore. And, and that's changed. And, is that because you mastered that area and now you're saying, hey, I need to do some new things? Or what do you think happened? Well, you know what? I think that absolutely is part of it. You know, that as you master something um, you and you do it over and over, you, you lose a little bit of the excitement. But um, I found that as I grew within the company, there were aspects of the business that I didn't even realize existed that um, once I got into, I loved uh, for example, um, writing. You know, when I first started BNI, I, I didn't, I hadn't written any books. I, I didn't do. Um, I did my first book in 1989, which I think sold about 20 copies. I mean, <laughs> it didn't do well. But when I did my, well, you got to start. You got to start somewhere. <laughs> when I did my second book in 1994, that one now has sold hundreds of thousands of copies and has been translated into more than a dozen languages. So that was about almost 10 years after I started BNI. And um, I, I found, okay, so I don't, I've never, so you've gotten two things out of me that I don't usually say on, on, on air, the, the trucking one and and what I'm about to tell you. One of the things that I um, really uh, hoped was that if I started doing interviews, I'd have a chance to mention BNI from time to time. Because if, if, if I went to do interviews with the media and I said, Hey, we, Hey, can we do an interview about BNI? They'd say, Take an ad out. I'm, I'm not going to interview yeah, right. you about BNI. Mm-hmm. So I started writing books so that I could get interviews and, and have a chance to at least mention BNI in the interview. What I found out was the media will interview any idiot with a book. Uh-huh. And I have 20. So, you know, I get lots and lots of interviews to talk about networking and word of mouth marketing. And it was a great way to then um, be able to build the brand of BNI. And I found, to go back to your original question, I loved that. I loved interviews. I loved writing. I loved working with the media. And it became a new flame for me, one that uh, kind of uh, put out the flame of building the business. And so, uh, although I continued to be very active in building the business up until Actually, this is my first week in a new role. You introduced me as founder and chairman. My, uh, I, I now am the founder and chief visionary officer for BNI. I've stepped down from the uh, day-to-day management of the, the business. Day-to-day. Yeah, and I now do writing and interviews full time. So, it, when you get in that flow of the fire, it's quite something. It carries you. Mm-hmm. So, 
self-perpetuating. It does, and people can see it in the way you uh, speak and behave. They, you know, they can tell that you're you're doing something that you love. And so, you know, those listening, think about how what I'm talking about applies to you, because everybody's got a different situation. It, you know, interviews may not be your thing. Um, writing may not be your thing. You gotta you gotta put it in in perspective of what you're passionate about and 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 really work towards getting to that point. It took me many years to be able to get to the point where I'm doing this for the majority of my time. So, you know, don't expect it to happen overnight, but it can happen. Amen. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, the listeners again are, are saying, okay, so I will start. Uh, I like animals. I'm an attorney. Uh, where would you recommend that they, you know, go to get this thing off the ground? Now they're they're they really don't have any contacts in that field, and they're they've had some expertise in law, but they they you know they are trying to figure out well how am I going to make this thing make money? <laughs> well, my guess is that they probably do have some ideas that um, because that's the business they were in. You know, if they if they were in if they were attorneys they probably have an idea of where to go. As a matter of fact, I had an attorney once say to me, I was, I think I was 17 years old and it was, it was advice that I've kept for all these years. And it relates exactly to your question. He said, a good attorney doesn't have the answers to anything or to most things. They don't have the answer. They just know where to find the answer. Uh And so um, your question is really appropriate for an attorney because the attorney may not have the answer, but they know where to find the answer. So they, you know, they would know, what organizations to go to, they would know what what people in the Bar Association to go to who might have connections with the Humane Society or with animal rights groups. Uh, they would know where to begin. And once they start jumping into that, uh, then and, and delving further, they can find out what aspects of the law um, uh, animal rights um, needs assistance with and that's where they can then step in and again for the average listener this applies to you as well even if you're not an attorney looking for animal rights issues you think about what you're passionate about and what skill set you have and where do they intersect and where do you go to to help um um, do that as as your full-time flame does that make sense yes so once you've decided so once you've decided, okay, so you, they, let's say formally you're an accountant, but you really, you know, were in something you really didn't like all your life, but it paid the bills, and mm-hmm. uh, and baseball is really your passion. Uh, I, I mean, again, I guess someone said to me, well, the accountant could go to all the local baseball associations and maybe do their accounting. I guess so that way you would tie it together somewhat. Uh, so their expertise could be applied to their passion and they get to meet those people that are in baseball they love. So that'd be one approach. What would you recommend that that, that they do there as far as sit down and say, okay, I need to write a book. First thing I need is write a book because I can't get any interviews because no one knows who I am. So I got to take what I know about baseball right now, apply maybe my accounting knowledge to it uh, and write a book on baseball and accounting and start getting interviewed. Is that the kind of direction you? Oh, listen. If if you like to write, uh, you know, yeah, that would be a great way to do it. Because and you might not even do have to do a book at first. Uh, start with a blog, um, okay. and you know, start to build uh, a a following. Uh, if you build a platform, then once you have a book, 
um, it's much easier to, to promote that book. You know, um, many of my books have hit bestsellers lists. I've got several that have hit the New York Times bestsellers list. And people say to me, Ivan, what's the secret to getting your book on the, on the New York Times bestsellers list? And I tell them, getting a book on a bestsellers list is actually easy. What's difficult is building a platform of 200,000 followers. That's hard. Mm-hmm. So building the followers will uh, help you promote the book. And one of the ways to build the followers is to start with a blog. So I see, I know I've just reversed engineered this goal we talked about. You do a book, but you, you get that book, you got to sell it. In order to sell it, you you need to build a platform. You need to build, okay. build a platform, you start with a blog. And so I'm just kind of reversing it out. And then um, you do that for a year or so. You've built content. You've kind of fleshed out content for your book through the blog, which, by the way, I do all the time. I have a blog, IvanMeisner.com, IvanMeisner.com. I've got mm-hmm. almost 800 blog posts on there. And um, if you go back and look at it, you'll find that there's a lot of content that began there that ended up in one of my books. So doing those kinds of things um, help you build a platform. That platform then helps you build uh, a reputation. That reputation then can enable you to get the interviews that we were talking about, but also it gives you credibility for um, jobs it, or, you know, if you, if, if you, it opens up other doors. Yeah, it opens up other doors. If you want to start a business in that field and you've written a book on it, you're an, an almost an automatic expert. And that definitely opens doors. Now, if you were not good at writing, you could create an audio blog, let's say, instead, yeah. and then just have uh, points below what the audio blog was about. Yes, very true. And today, you know, uh, we're finding that audio or video blogs, uh, video in particular, are becoming more and more um, uh, important. And so I literally, if you if you go back on my blog back when I started it in 2007, Mm-hmm. They were all written. Uh, I think it wasn't until about 2011 that I started doing any video blogs. Now I do one each a, a week. So every week, like clockwork, there's one written blog, one video blog every single week. And so I try to to hit all cylinders by doing both of those. I also oh, do a, a weekly podcast, so I do an audio as well. To, and all of this help builds my plat- platform. Um. So if a person uh, wanted to, to go down this route right now, uh, should he start doing a bunch of writing or should he do all, hit all three platforms immediately, audio, video, uh, written? And, and, and uh, I mean, if he wants to get this thing going because he needs to start making money, you know, he's got a skinny retirement and he needs to start making, you know, twenty or 30000 a year this year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, should he be hitting it on all, all, all three cylinders there if he's comfortable? Yeah, it's easy to burn yourself out. Um, I would probably not do all of it. I would probably just do a blog and on on that blog, do some uh, writing and video, um, one or both. Uh, That would be my advice. You know, if you're spending all your time, uh, you know, producing that content in the beginning, you're not you're not out there really marketing yourself. I mean, that, that is a way of marketing, but it, you got to also get out and connect with people. Networking is a contact sport. And, and you can't rely on just your, your, um, uh, your content 
to replace your your contacts. And um, you know, that's good. I think um, I think I think too many business people are cave dwellers. Yeah. They get up in the morning. They're in a large cave with a big screen TV. They go out to their garage. They get into this little cave with four wheels called their car. They drive to this other really big cave with computers called their office. They stay there all day long. At the end of the day, they get back into their little cave with four wheels. They drive back to their large cave with a big screen TV, and they can't figure out why no one is referring them. They're not referring them because networking is a contact sport. You've got to get belly to belly with people and talk to them. So it, it's, it's that combination of building credibility through your writing or your videos, your blogging, as well as you're connecting with people face-to-face that will help you build a business. Okay, so you start the blog, uh, and you want to do 30 hours a week uh, to make this thing work because you need you know an extra 20000 a year. So uh, you're going to spend, let's say, five hours a week on your blog. What should you be doing with the other 25 hours? Well, first of all, if you um, are starting a brand-new business and you plan on working 30 hours a week, you're going to probably fail. Um, you need 60. <laughs> yeah, you know, you, you need to spend in more than 30. I think I worked um, probably 60-hour work weeks for decades before I had achieved any level of significant success. So 30 hours is probably on the low side. Uh, that said, let me answer your well, let's say it's let's say it's 60. So what, Okay, so he spent five hours on the blog. What should he do the other 55? So um, you have to remember that uh, – I'm, so I'm going to give you the foundation of what I teach for networking. Um, this is the foundation of everything I teach. If you don't get this right, nothing else works in terms of building a powerful personal network. Uh, I call it the VCP process. VCP, it stands for visibility, credibility, profitability. First, you have to be visible in the community. People have to know who you are and what you do. Then you have to establish credibility. Credibility is where people know who you are, they know what you do, and they know you're good at it. Now, this is a chronological process. It has to go from visibility to credibility, then from credibility to profitability. Profitability is where people know who you are. They know what you do. They know you're good at it. And they're willing to pass you referrals on an ongoing reciprocal basis. Um, Where networking goes wrong is when people try to jump over visibility, jump over credibility, and try to get right to profitability. They Uh meet you at networking events or they'll meet you online and they'll say, Hi, Ken, my name's Ivan. Let's do business. Or maybe you could refer people to me. Um, and there's no relationship. I wrote a book with a couple of uh, friends. Um, the book's called Business, Networking, and Sex, Not What You Think. <laughs> and it's about the difference between men and women and how they network. And we call people like that who try to jump over visibility and over credibility, get right to profit- profitability. We call them, uh, we call that process, we call that uh, premature solicitation, which you don't want to say fast three times. It'll get you in trouble. <laughs> I thought you were going to say prostitution there for a <laughs> No, 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 not, not that bad. Premature <laughs> solicitation. Okay. So what happens with networking is um, it, it can go all wrong when people just try to sell. Um, they, they oftentimes use networking as a face-to-face cold calling opportunity. Uh-huh. I, I was in um, London a few years back, and I had 900 people in the audience. It was a networking event. I was the keynote speaker. I started my presentation by asking everyone there, um, how many of you are here today? Raise your hands. If you're here, you know, hoping to just maybe possibly sell something. Can 900 people raise their hands? Uh, Every single person in that room practically raised their hand. I said, great, thank you. Second question, raise your hands. How many of you are here? Raise your hands if you if you agree. You're here to maybe just possibly 
buy something. No one. Not a one. <laughs> Not a single person. And I pointed out to them that this is, this is the networking disconnect. The networking disconnect. People will show up at networking events wanting to sell, but nobody's there to buy. And that's where things go wrong, badly wrong. So people said to me, well, what do you do then? Why are you there if you're not there to sell? You're there to work your way through the VCP process. You want to, you want to be visible. You want people to know who you are and what you do. And you want to establish credibility. And some people already know, they know you already. And so it's an opportunity to reconnect and establish credibility with people. And some people, you've already got credibility. And that's your opportunity then to move to profitability where you, you're passing referrals back and forth. But networking is more about farming than it is about hunting. It's about cultivating relationships with other business professionals. And so in answer to your question, what do you do for the other 50 hours, is you work your way through the VCP process. You, you're, you're out there. You're connecting with people. You're becoming visible. You're establishing credibility. And then you move to, to that profitability where you're generating referrals. And on all of that takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. So the the first step is to be visible and give some free value so that they know, hey, this guy knows what he's talking about. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when I go to networking events, um, I look for ways, and this is counterintuitive because um, people, you know, they sometimes are desperate. They need the money, and so they're looking for business right away. The problem is the desperation is not referable. Mm-hmm. And you've seen it when people are coming across too desperate, man, you don't want to refer them. You don't want to even do business with them. So desperation is not referable. Instead, and this is where it's counterintuitive, when you go to networking events, your goal should be to actually find ways to help people. So there's two groups there. There's the givers and the takers. You better be the givers on the givers group. If you're in for the long haul, you better be in the givers group. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, and one, it's, a, it's a great term because we, we use that in BNI actually, um, we call it giver's game. If you want to get business, you have to be willing to give business to people. And, um, and you know, you say, well, if I'm meeting someone for the first time, I'm not going to give them business. Maybe, but you might give them assistance or help, or you might give them a referral for somebody who can help them. You know, when, when you're networking, what you want to do, the best, uh, the best networkers have two ears and one mouth and use them both proportionally. Mm-hmm. They're they're like this interview. You're you're asking me questions and you're giving me an opportunity to to uh, go into detail with some answers. That's what a good networker does: is they ask questions and then they let the other person talk and explain. And if they can hear something that somehow, some way, they can help them by giving them a referral. Or for me, oftentimes it might be: Have have you read this article? I, I just read an article that. Uh, addresses the very thing you're talking about. Would you like me to send a copy of it to you? And people say, oh, yeah, that'd be great. And then they'll give me their business card. It's always funny because people are saying, well, how do you get people's business cards? You don't even have to ask. All you have to do is, is offer help, and they'll hand you their business card. They'll want your business card. They'll ask you for your business card. But you, the only way to do that effectively is, is to help people. 
That, that's exactly what happened to me yesterday. Someone actually uh, made a butt call to me accidentally. I hadn't talked to him for two years. And I said, oh, by the way, you're a consultant. There's a thing I just signed up for called Clarity. And you can set your, your what you want to charge per hour. You can put that on your website. So you can charge 100 an hour, 200 an hour, 1,000 an hour, whatever you want. Yeah. Uh, he was like, this is one of the best things <laughs> that I've heard all week. Yeah. You know, and it was a butt call. Yeah. But it was, you know, I gave him something. And again, I know I'm not necessarily going to get it back from him, but I'll get it back from somewhere. Yeah, listen, what goes around comes around. It does come back around. when you, And it might not come from the exact same person, but that person might talk to somebody else who talked to somebody yes. else, and it comes back around to you. And, and I'm not a, look, I'm not a very new age kind of guy, you know, but I'm here to tell you this, this really does work. I mean, I've seen it for 30 years now. Um, last year in BNI, we passed 6.6 million referrals. We generated 8.6 billion, with a B, 8.6 billion dollars worth of business for our members Amazing. all around the world, and it was through this philosophy of Giver's Game. Amazing. Amazing. Well, again, it's not just a new age thing. I mean, uh, you know, it's biblical too. You know, as you sow, you shall reap. I mean, I mean, even farmers know it. You know, yeah, <laughs> they got to sow first, or they're not going to get any harvest. Very true. So it's probably in many religions that, uh, the, and many philosophies that that's already there. Just using different, some use new age terms, but they're saying the same thing. Yeah, and the truth is the truth. Yeah, this is great. Um, now, if folks want to get a hold of you. Uh, I know you mentioned one uh, way to connect with you. Is there other ways that uh, they can get a hold of you, Ivan? Absolutely. Well, the best way to connect with me is on my blog, IvanMeisner.com. Uh, I have uh, literally hundreds and hundreds of uh, blog posts on a lot of different topics, not just networking, but uh, a number uh, of other topics. And, of course, they can uh, reach me on Facebook. Um, my Facebook is uh, uh, Facebook.com slash founder. So they can find my public page uh, there on Facebook. My private page, I'm afraid I'm at my limit, but you can connect with me on my public page. All right, super. I know when I looked originally on uh, and it went to B&I, and I, uh, I thought, well, why is he sending me to a general uh, website? And then I didn't. Then I realized, oh, man, he's the president of the website. <laughs> I didn't know who you were. You know, I didn't really put, put the uh, two together <laughs> initially. Two together. <laughs> wow, that's why he's using it. <laughs> that's, uh, that's incredible that what you've done. Um, so, what some last uh, few moments yeah. of, of, of what you'd recommend for the folks? Uh, keep in mind, a lot of them have been fired, or uh, they're on a very skinny uh, amount of money to live on their pension, yeah. uh, or they're bored to death and they'd like to do something important with the rest of their life. Yeah, and you know, you might. If you're in that situation, you might be uh, really, uh, you know, very well. You might be in uncharted territory and and really nervous. They are, yeah. So here's a philosophy I've had all my life, and that is that ignorance on fire is better than knowledge on ice. Nice. Ignorance on fire is better than knowledge on ice. If you go with your pa what you're passionate about and you're on fire about it. I wouldn't worry if you don't have all the answers. Um, uh, for example, when I'm hiring people, not, not that they're looking to get a job, but when I'm out looking to hire somebody, I don't really care if they have all the answers. I want to see that they're passionate about it. 
uh, passionate about the role, passionate about the position. Um, because I can teach someone how to do something. I can't teach them to be passionate, and I don't have time to send them back to mom for retraining. <laughs> so, you know, what I would recommend is go with what you're passionate about because it'll show. And even if you don't have all the answers, if you're on fire and excited and and are willing to spend the time necessary to get the answers, um, you, you know, Follow your passion, follow your dream, uh, and 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 if you've got some expertise in it, it's a it's a one-two punch. You'll do fine, but give it time. Uh, nothing you can't build a business overnight. At least, look, I I, I could take. Would you like to hear the secret to success? Absolutely. Here it is. The secret to success, without hard work, is still a secret. No one's figured it no out. No one's figured it out. And, and Ken, if you do, please tell me because I'd really like to know what it is. Um, so my point is that it, it just it takes hard work. Sustainable success takes hard work. You know, when we started the interview, you said there are some people who are very young who have achieved success, and that's true. Many of them, though, will blow it over time. It's like the um, it's like how many times have we heard about uh, a lottery winners that uh, you know made millions and then blew it all. Because they didn't know how to manage their money. And oftentimes people who are successful don't know, young, don't know how to manage that success. And um, things don't end up working out well for them. And so, uh, you know, it takes time. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Because that as you're learning through time, you're better able to manage that success. And, um, and, and it will come if you keep plugging away. Do you believe, because some people just think, oh, this life's been a, you know, <laughs> do you believe that everyone really does have a fire somewhere inside them? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, they haven't necessarily pursued it or they don't think that they could make money at it or, um, but yeah, every everybody's got something at some point in their life that they were excited about. It was either beat out of them or or they just uh, lost interest in it, or they're still interested, but they don't think there's an opportunity for it. I think everybody's passionate about something. So you, so what might have happened is there is a little bit of uh, embers there still, and you're going to have to fan it to get it back up yeah, to flame. Yeah, yeah, no question about it. Uh, you know, I've... I've I've always uh, told not only close business associates, but, you know, my, my children as they were growing up, you know, just take the things that you're passionate about and run with those. Um, don't worry about what other people think you should be doing. Um, take the things that you are excited about and do it. And I think all too often in life uh, we maybe haven't followed that advice. And so if we find ourselves later in life with an opportunity to, to rekindle that, why not? Especially if you're retired and you can do it. You got the time? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you you, you want to do that. Especially, and, and if you have at least a little bit of a nest egg to fall back on while you're doing that, uh, makes for a more certainly makes for a more interesting life. And there is a group that are listening that are saying, they, all these th- things sound great, but I'm just too old and tired. What would you say to them? <laughs> Uh, ignorance on fire is better than knowledge on ice there. You know, it, 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 I, so I can't motivate anybody. 
I, I learned this years ago that um, that it is absolutely empower, impossible for me to motivate someone. Only they can motivate themselves. And it, it's like that old saying, if you think you can or you think you can't, you'll be right. Mm-hmm. And if they think they can't, they'll be right. Um, you know, they've, they've got to recognize what's, what's possible and pursue it. Um, I mean, what's the alternative really, Ken? <laughs> death. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really seriously, the alternative is failure or death or, or, you know, dying unhappy. Um, why not try? Why not try? I remember, and this is a very simple example, but I remember, um, I remember when that first big book came out that I talked about, uh, it was the world's best known marketing secret came out in 94. And I, uh, went up to a bookstore and and the book business was really different 20 years ago. Um, Mm -hmm. a lot of bookstores. I went up to a little, um, Walden books and I, I drove up and I, I was thinking, you know, I'm going to go in and see if they have copies of my book and I'll, I'll see if they were, if I could, uh, if they don't, would they, would they get some copies and then I'll sign them because I, I live locally mm-hmm. and I just froze out in the parking lot, just froze because I hadn't done this before. And I thought, well, what if, what if, what if they say no? Mm-hmm. What if they say, no, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know who you are. We've never heard of this book. We're not going to order the book. Or what if they are nice about it and say, no, thanks. But you know, what if they say no? And that'll be kind of embarrassing, right? And then I thought, uh, but what if they say yes? Then I'm a local guy and they know I'm here. And as I do other books, you know, they'll, they'll have me come back. What if I don't go in? What if I just say, you know, I don't want to do this. It'll be what it'll be. Then I'm basically back at the same point as if they said no. So you have nothing to lose. So I have nothing to lose. (laughs) Right. Because, because the only choice I have that will get me where I want to go is to try. Any other choice would get me um, failure. And so I decided, what, the, what do I really, what do I have to lose? They're, they're just going to, if they say no, it's just no. It's not that big a deal. And I went in and not only did they say yes, they said, heck yes, we would love to. <laughs> Thank you for coming in. And and they were really nice, and they ordered a bunch of books, and I came back, and I signed them, and it, and it worked really well. There's um, – oh, I'm trying – oh, um, a good friend of mine, Mark Golston, and I'm, I'm trying to remember his quote, but it's really powerful. Um, here it is. He says, we have a lot less control over winning or losing at something than we do over trying or quitting at something. Always try. You can eventually win. If you always quit, you can never win. Mm-hmm. And that, Good. my friend, is the answer to your question. So regret is worse than failure. <laughs> regret is failure. <laughs> of the worst kind. It is, because you didn't even try. Uh. So here's this coming to me from all we're saying, uh, Ivan, is that first of all, you need to sort through your life and say, okay, what were the real things that I missed and I really enjoyed? Yes. Get your hands on that. And then 
uh, sort through the people that you want to work with that will help you to get you there. Yeah, and there are people out there uh, that will help. You know, some will, some won't. So what? Find the ones that will, mm-hmm. and uh, and work with them. And there are people out there that'll help you. I agree. And to be part of uh, your network, yeah. okay, to be part of BNI, what what, uh, what does it entail? Just to, just to give us a quick... Yeah, sure. Um, you know, go to BNI.com, find a local chapter, and go visit a group. Um, we, we allow one person per profession. They get together every week, pass each other referrals. So whatever business uh, you're in, you would represent that category, and nobody else... Uh, from that category would be able to join that chapter. They meet every single week. So we literally have 7,100 meetings a week all around the world. Uh, They meet every week and everybody passes each other referrals for one another's business. So find a local group, go visit. Uh, The only way to join is to be approved by the local chapter. So uh, you you can't send in a check and join. You got to you got to go and meet people and submit an application and be accepted to a group. And then and then you're off to the races to pass business. And these groups are like 10 or 500 people. The chapters, the average, the statistical mean worldwide is about 25, 26 members. The big groups will have 50 smaller groups will have 20. But you could uh, join one group, like I'm in Clearwater here, so I could do one in Clearwater, one in Tampa. One no, you, one person can only be a member of one chapter. Uh, if oh, you okay. if you have a company and you have employees, you can't send other you can't send employees to other ca- uh, uh, chapters. But uh, an individual can only be a member of one chapter, because you're promising to give as much business as possible to the lawyer and the CPA and you know the florist, and they're doing the same for you. So if you're joining other groups, you're splitting up your 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 um, commitment to those professions, and we find that that doesn't work well. Okay, all right. Well, uh, I think I'd like to go out to one of those meetings myself. So that's why I'm asking. Come, come visit. Come visit. You you, uh, you reach out to me. I'll, I'll make sure and get you the name of the local director and email. All right. All right, super. Well, this has been fantastic. I appreciate you taking all the time, Ivan. You've you've given us in some great information there for all of us to digest and and, and uh, to incorporate in our lives. You know, we we need to use some of these <laughs> ideas. My pleasure. I don't know if you noticed, but this is my flame. Um, I, I, I know this is the part yeah, of the business yeah. I enjoy. Uh-huh. This, yeah, it's great. I, I love what I'm doing too. I get to to meet fantastic people like you, you know, that have done amazing things, and it just builds me every day. The the more I get to talk to people like yourself, Ivan, that have gone out there and and done some fantastic things. But I'm not just restricting it to people who who are you know as famous as you have become. I mean, even if I see someone that hey, they're really good at the worm business and yeah. they could teach anyone to make 40,000 a year at worms anywhere in the country. I mean, I'm just excited about him too, because he's got something that my listeners can, can do. So no question. But, yeah, I agree completely. I've, I've got a whole range of who, uh, who I love, but it's great to, to, to deal with people at your magnitude too. That's, that's achieved such, such wonderful things. Well, you're, and helps you're very, people. you're very kind. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right, Ivan. I hope that we can uh, talk again uh, in a few months and see what you're up to then. I'm happy to talk again. Uh, great interview. You got some stuff out of me, Ken, that I don't usually share, so thanks. Well, thank you, sir. All right. Appreciate Take it. Take care. Okay, Ivan. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Income for Baby Boomers with your host, Ken Queen. Helping boomers like you get a business started you can run from your own home. 
We interview owners of both online and offline businesses, but most importantly, ones that are run by baby boomers. Stay tuned next week for new and exciting businesses that you can start from your home. Until next time, have a profitable and blessed week.